Well, I'm so grateful to the Corinthians because, man, they were messed up. I mean, chapter after chapter, and it doesn't seem like we're running out of any subjects to review either. But what I want to review this morning before we get started is that as we're starting in chapter 6, is over the last five chapters, we have seen that Paul starts with them being called saints, that they're called by God. They're God's children. This is God's church. And just as all churches where there's people, there's problems. Then we saw that they were filled with the Spirit. They have spiritual gifts. I want us to be reminded as we go through these problems that these are Spirit-filled believers that are called by God, purchased by God, and God's working in their life. Then we started seeing the problems, though, that they were dividing amongst themselves. They were picking certain teachers. They were calling themselves with certain camps. Then they started looking to the world's wisdom. They were looking to outside wisdom. They were looking to the philosophers, the teachers, the actors, the playwrights, the athletes of that day, the pagan world. And they were getting a little, uh, they kind of started being wooed by that a little bit. Then, as Paul was answering that back, he reminded them that the Lord uses the foolish things of this world and that the wisdom of God far surpasses the world's wisdom. And he encouraged them. Then in the last chapter, we saw some of the most heinous sexual sin in the church. And you would think that we would be done. But no, as we're going to jump into chapter 6, we're going to be seeing that there's far more things that the Lord needs to deal with in His church. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to read verses 1 through 3 today to get started in chapter 6. Father, we thank You so much. There's not enough praise that could come from our lips to give you glory for who you are and what you're doing, Lord. We pray you would continue to speak to us, continue to change us, mold us into your image as you continue us on that path of sanctification. Let your will be done this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? There's a little bit of gain up here. I don't know if you can tweak a little bit. I I like how it starts, dare any of you. He's kind of saying, triple dog dare you. How dare you? How could you possibly, in the family of God, sue each other? So they're saying that the point of conflict has gone from, well, we just kind of agree to disagree, to, man, we're really going to fight about this, to, I don't even want to have fellowship with you anymore, to, I'm going to go to an outside lawyer. I'm going to go to a pagan court and put you in that pagan court and wait for the pagans to come and to decide who's right and who's wrong. And Paul is very bold in his language. How dare you? How could you possibly be doing this? Now, when we say pagan courts and pagan judges, that doesn't mean that they're making wrong judgments. It just means that they're not believers. They don't have the same wisdom of God. They have have the, the world's wisdom. Now, what we see here is very interesting in verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy 
to judge the smallest matters? We saw in verse 3, Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this world? So we're going to judge the world. We're going to judge angels. What does that mean? How does that work? Well, first, the fallen angels that followed Lucifer, they will be judged. There will be a judgment on them. In Isaiah chapter 24, verses 21 through 22, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and he will shut up, and he will be shut up in the prison. After many days they will be punished. So there's going to be this judgment. We know that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. The Lord is going to return to Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign. There's going to be a Bema seat judgment. Remember earlier in Corinthians, we saw that believers are going to have a judgment of rewards. You know, the things that you did for Christ, it's been well said. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then we'll receive those crowns and rewards. There is a second judgment called the great white throne judgment where God will separate the sheep from the goats. He'll judge a final judgment. The believer will not go there to that judgment. But then we also see that the angels are going to be judged. Now, will we judge, judge them or will God judge them or how does this work? This work? In, in Greek, that word judge is Krino, it also means to rule or govern. Well, we do know that we will rule and reign with Christ, right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 says, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. For if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Emphasis is that we will live and rule and reign with him. Uh, I personally believe that this judgment over the angels doesn't mean that we will sit in the judgment seat, but that word krinos, if I said it right again, I'm not a Greek scholar, which means that we will reign with God, that God's going to be almighty, he's going to be on the throne, he's going to judge, and we're going to execute that judgment for him. Jesus told us that if we were faithful, that we would rule over cities in the Gospels. How many? How does that work? I have no idea. I say we just do what the boss says, and we get what we get, and we don't pitch a fit. That's what we say at my house. <laughs> We're going to experience it together. But let's go back to the task at hand. If we are going to rule and reign with him in the millennial kingdom, how can we not rule ourselves? How, how can we not handle some conflict within the church? How is it that we're, they were suing one another? Apparently, in the Corinthian and Greek culture at that time, frivolous lawsuits were a regular occurrence. Nothing new under the sun. Anything goes wrong, we'll just sue them. I, I'll share a little work story. We had a, um, we had a guy, he was running late night call um, for whatever reason, switching lanes or whatever. He scratched uh, another car. They pulled over, they exchanged information, just a small scratch. Um, not, barely even a dent. We had a photograph of it. Uh, we had the GPS reports of it. Didn't think anything of it. Submitted to insurance claims, you know, whatever. Next year, the insurance rates skyrocket. Call up. What's the deal here? Well, we had a $250,000 judgment against you the previous year. What are you talking about? 
yes, that little scratch, that little dent, apparently somebody knew somebody and worked the system, never contacted us, never got the information from us, never, nothing against us. And so now we had this ginormous judgment because somebody knew how to have a frivolous lawsuit. Is that what he's talking about here in the church, that they were trying to rip each other off? It's hard to say. But again, why? Now, you saw the title of the sermon. You know, wherever there's people, there's people problems. And I know Chuck Smith, he tells a story. I say I know Chuck Smith, by the way. That means I read a bunch of his books and I listen to his sermons and saw him once from like 40 feet away, you know. Don't, take, don't, don't misread me. But Chuck told a story about a purse that was left in the, the church. And they finally figured it out. Somebody came back to pick up the church. And she, and she said to Chuck, well, at least they left, I left it in the church where it's safe. And he laughed. He's like, no, there's still regular people here. Well, that's a mentality that sometimes we have. Have you heard the people that say, well, I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there? Of course there is. Exactly. Funny that it doesn't keep them from going to anywhere else there's hypocrites. <laughs> it's like they're all over the place. But the confrontation is still the same. Notice the intensity of Paul's language. It also seems like he's more upset about this than he was the incident in the previous chapter. Now, I am insinuating, which is dangerous from the text. So let's, not, let's take that with a grain of salt. But really, you can't, you can't deal with this problem. I know some people in the fellowship, they, they cause 10 problems every time they try and solve one. Then I know other people in the fellowship, they will not have a confrontation to save their life. They'll just disappear. If they feel insulted, they feel slighted, you'll just never see them again, especially if I do it. But there's always some kind of people problem. I was sharing with uh, an elder yesterday. He was talking about you know, how, the, how well the fellowship was going, and I just said, you know, as long as people are seeking after Christ and trying to draw closer to him, this thing's going to be, it's going to, uh, Lord's really going to bless it. I said, the second we only start thinking about the church, it's going to fly off the rails. Why? Because we're that dumb. Because of the people problems. Only Christ. See, that's what's going to happen here in this fellowship. How are they going to address this? How are they going to fix this? Christ alone. But when we realize that we will rule and reign with Christ in the future, we find the answer that we're looking for. Christ is the answer. We cannot rule and reign without who? Christ. He's the power. He's the authority. He's the one that gives us the truth. He's the one that explains us the sinfulness and the brokenness of our hearts and intentions. It's his word that reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. As a wise judge, he can discern when we're just being full of emotion and nonsense or whether we've been seriously grieved and need restoration. I can't discern any of that. I'm going to tell you another secret. I have no idea what I'm doing. i tell you what I do know. I know that if I'm obedient to God's word and if I continue to walk by faith and not by sight, and when these problems happen, I just do my best and commit the rest, that he will have his way. And that's what the Corinthians needed. Remember the five previous verse or chapters, they've been looking to the world, looking to the Greek culture, looking to what they knew, and Paul's been trying to remind them from verse 1, this is all about Jesus. You need to come back. All right, now I want to I share another side note. 
I believe, again, whenever I say that, I believe, that means it's an opinion coming, which means you could take it or leave it, that Satan fell because of the grace that's bestowed on humanity. Jesus, we were made in the image of Jesus Christ, and he's the lame land from the very foundation, meaning he was always going to give his life to redeem mankind. And, and I believe that Satan, Lucifer, the worship leader of heaven, and Isaiah, when he said, I will be like the Most High, the trigger for that was these people, these people, you're doing this for these people? No way. Again, this is all, all my opinion here. So it could just be utter nonsense, or there could be some truth to it, or it, I might be right. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> and we see that redemption now. How can God continue to work in people like these Corinthians? They're suing each other. They have incestuous relations, and they're glorifying it in the previous chapter. They're dividing amongst themselves. And here... We're going to judge the angels. We're going to reign over angels. They are ministering servants. They're not. They're higher than us at this moment, but later they will be below us. And that's why I, I share that, that little tidbit with you, that in Isaiah when he says, I will be like the Most High, I think, that's, I think that's part of it. When did that happen, Mike? I have no idea. Don't come up here and ask me. I have no idea. No gap theory. Nope, throw that sucker away too. All right, let's continue, verses 4 through 6. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to the law against brother, and that before unbelievers. How dare you? Is there not one wise? Now, there is some scholastic um, debate here between what does it mean appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge. It seems that those that are least esteemed by the church, not in the church, are the pagan courts themselves. Like, why would you go to the non-believer that needs Christ to judge you on these matters, to judge brothers among these matters? To me, that seems the most likely interpretation. Brother against brother. Can you imagine? I want, let's, let's go jump in the time travel machine. Let's go back to Corinth. Let's remember those busy streets. We, we saw the ruins in the introduction. Let's, let's remember the marketplaces, and let's remember the theaters and the auditoriums, the speaking, the schools, the, gla- the games, the Roman soldiers going around. And they have these courts in these plazas, these open plazas. And yes, the same Greek word is used. There's a bema seat. There's a judge who sits on the front there. And they stand in line with all these other pagans, all these other Greeks and um, Romans and all these other cultures. And they're going to bring this argument in the church of God before this pagan court. And Paul's saying, you can't find one brother to do this instead of going through that charade. What's the inference here? Aren't we supposed to be a light to the world? How many, I remember when I first came to the South and I was working for an outfit, nothing but deep Southern boys. I, I did love the guys. But every time I said, yeah, I'm here to plant a church. You know, I'm starting a church. First of all, why? 
There's just lots of churches around here. God called me to. Okay, weirdo. But then they would invariably start off with a story about something terrible that happened to them. And how does all those stories end? And he was a deacon in the church. And he was a pastor. And she was a prophet. No, nonsense. But we've all heard that. We've all experienced that. Well, wherever there's people, there's people problems. It should not be named among us like that. You know, I, I, I'm curious. How is Calvary Chapel going to be known in our, in our town? What kind of influence are we going to have? Is it going to be an influence for Christ? Are people going to look at Calvary Chapel Low Country here and say, these people are in love with Jesus. These weirdos love their Bibles. Or is it going to be, that guy, that gal ripped me off. That guy, that, that gal did this to me. That guy, that gal caught in adultery, drugs. Name it, name it, name it. Brother against brother. Now, that being said, we are not to make our own court system, because we could take that to the extreme. Because in Romans chapter 13, we are to be under the authority of the government, of the, court, the courts, and they are set there as peacemakers from God, ordained by God, Romans chapter 13. Also, Paul is not against using the courts himself. In Acts chapter 22, he is there and he goes to the court, and he uses the court system. He uses it very wisely. But when it's within the household, when it's an issue that we have, we need to deal with it in-house. There used to be a time that when it came to your family, we would say things like, don't show everyone your dirty laundry. You would keep it within the family. That's a saying that just means that the stuff that you've got to deal with in your house, the nitty-gritty, the messes, you keep that in the house. You fix it in-house. Well, when you have the Lord, you have the answer being obedient to the scriptures. But what do we always say? Wherever there's people, there's people problems. And if we just say, oh, I'll just get over it, that doesn't fix anything. The hardest thing, I shouldn't say the, but top five hardest thing about being a pastor is people that leave or upset or stumbled because they misinterpreted something I said, some, some way that I acted, or some look that I gave them. And they're upset. And they don't understand the intention. They don't understand what I was trying to accomplish. Or, you know, or I'm just a regular guy. You know, sometimes I have a bad day. And I know that that happens time after time within the fellowship, within friendships, within families. And the Bible knows this. In Proverbs chapter 18, it says, A brother offended is harder to win than a... How are we doing, Tim? Are we back? If you're online, your, your TV's still working. It's okay. The batteries died. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle we just had in Proverbs chapter 18. Ain't no problem like a people problem, and there ain't no people problem like a family problem. But again, the same answer for the church is the same answer for us, only in looking to Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith, only in looking in Him and yielding in the Spirit. Can we put ourselves in positions that we can be peacemakers? Peacemakers. You see, as a Christian, wouldn't it be better that we just take the insult? As a Christian, wouldn't it be better if we just turn the other cheek? We're told to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile for the Roman soldier. 
for those that are imposing their will on us, for those that are trying to crush us, for those that are trying to break us in the name of Christ, shouldn't we be doing that within the household of faith? Instead, it's they need to change. They need to act differently. They need to treat me with respect. They need to speak to me a certain way. They need to greet me. They need to say hi. They need to change the way they think. No. No, Jesus says, you turn the other cheek. Blessed are those. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. If we're supposed to be that way to the world, shouldn't we be even more so for the household of faith? Interesting. Notice Paul is very bold, very strong. Dare any of you. How dare you? How could you? I say this to your shame in verse 5. I say this to your shame. Well, now in verses 7 and 8. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Nor yourselves, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Wow. Wow. In the enduring word commentary, it said, I, it would be better to accept wrong. It would be better to let yourselves be cheated than to defend your rights at the expense of God's glory, the higher good of his kingdom. You know, too many times, the church looks like this. And, and, and that's what we were seeing. They were dividing themselves up between different teachers, and there they are going at it with each other. Who's going to win? Who's going to reign supreme in the church? And the church body in the world is, is looking at us like, what a, what a show. What a joke. And we talk about the power of God to the world, and the gospel can, can change lives and transform and yet we're eating each other alive within the church. And the world are hypocrite detectors. Boop, 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 boop. And then they put it on TV, they put it on all the websites, they put it on the gossip channels. Look at this pastor, look at this church, look at this guy, look at this gal, look at this jet, look at this adulterous relationship, look at this fall from grace. They are quick on it. Well, they're deservingly so. Here it says in the text, wouldn't it be better for us to accept being defrauded and cheated than to get in the way of the gospel of God? Wow. How many times in the church do the hurt get hurt more? How many times in the body of Christ do the hurt get hurt more? Those that need to come in, they need to get patched up, they need to be um, taken care of, they need to be strengthened and encouraged and go back out into the battle come in here to find another battle. No, not don't let it be known among you. We need to bring healing, not wounding. We need to bring encouragement and strengthening, not weakness. Now, that doesn't mean, now, I have to say this for myself. Maybe you guys already got this. That doesn't mean that we don't confront each other, that there isn't pain involved. That doesn't mean there's not tough medicine and heartache. You know, when you go to the doctors, what do they do? They poke you with needles they set bones. That's painful. You know, sometimes being in church and having a, a healthy church means that there is some tough discipline, but it should be for the healing, not for the hurting. Now, some people enjoy setting those bones way too much. It's like, no, let's work on our bedside manner, church. 
we need to continue to have this process of sanctification. It's dirty. It's messy. But it should look like this. This is a hospital ward. This is a, a wartime hospital that there's a battle coming, and they're preparing, and so they're bringing it in. And in the heat of the battle, it's messy. It's dirty. It's, it's bloody. It's loud. You know, sometimes the church can be like that. But is God getting the glory? Are people being sanctified? Are we growing in grace, growing in the word of God? Are we helping and healing each other? Or is it like the previous photo when we're boxing each other, beating each other, trying to submit one another and find out who is the champion? There's only one champion, Christ Jesus. He alone. Now, I am curious. When they received this word, how quickly was there changes? When we get to 2 Corinthians of the Lord Terry's, we're going to see a lot of changes happen from the 1 Corinthians. But when they received this letter, what was it like? Like you're sitting in the church in Corinth. You're in somebody's house. Everybody's gathered together. Somebody's reading these words, trying not to look people in the eye. It's like, Johnny's talking about you here. <laughs> Chris, you done messed up, bro. Hey, how'd that lawsuit go you were bragging about five minutes ago? Oh, I'll just keep going here. Now, when we receive this word, we cannot be hearers only. We need to be doers. Let's check another verse from James, not that one. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. We need to do these things. We need to apply these godly criticisms to our lives and course correct and change. Course correct and change. When you get the tough medicine, take the prescription. If you're told to do the spiritual, physical therapy, do the work. Don't be just hearers. You got to actually do it. Now, we're going to spend some time in verses 9 and 11 through 11 because they are taken out of context many times. And they're also misconstrued and tortured to say something that they don't actually mean in others. I'll tell you what I mean here in a minute. Let's read verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I never want to hear verses 9 and 10 quoted without verse 11, because that's what we're hearing all the time. Now, it's a knee-jerk reaction to the homosexual LGBTQ plus whatever alphabet soup thing they're calling themselves. It's a knee-jerk reaction back to that. So what does this verse mean in context? What does this verse mean for America and for our culture? What does the Bible say about all this stuff? And quite frankly, what is a sin and what is not? I'm glad you guys asked. You got some great questions. Number one, always take the Bible in its proper context. This context is talking about this division and the lawsuits and going to the world. And it's saying, stop going to the world. Hey, the world is not saved. There is only one unforgivable sin. 
that is not accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what your backgrounds are. I don't care what kind of situation you're in, culture, gender euphoria, homosexuality, what religion you came from, what race you are, whether you're disabled, whether you're tall, whether you're smart, whether you have a handicap of some kind, does not matter. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what is he saying in their context here? Verse 11, and such were some of you. If you're continually living in those lifestyles and proclaiming them without Christ, you are not saved. Now, people with these lifestyles that had changed and are dealing with it are in the church of Corinth who God called saints in chapter 1. They had come out of homosexual lifestyles. They had come out of... some. Sodomy. They had come out of male prostitution, female prostitution. They had come out of drunking, uh, drinking and idolatry. Many of these people had come from families where they were offering food unto idols and worshiping false gods and trinkets. Their lives were radically changing. And Paul is saying here, don't be like the world you came from. Don't be like the world you came from. That being said, you ask me, what is a sin and what is not? Homosexuality is a sin. It is against God. Marriage is between one man and one woman. All sexual interactions outside of that marriage between one man and one woman is a sin. Getting drunk to excess is a sin. Using drugs is a sin. Smoking marijuana is a sin. Oh, you're just a... You Listen, you were, you were just nodding your head at everybody else, but then when the conviction comes home, well, yeah, what, now I'm going to sue you. Now, that is, <laughs> we went over that. We went over that. You're using pharmacia to feel better. There are many legal prescriptions that are sin. You could be prescribed Vicodin and know that you're an addict and fill in the name of whatever name it is right now. Only between you and God. But specifically within our culture, what does the Bible say? Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, which in its context is speaking about the whole world is condemned outside of Christ, not just one group of people, says, For this reason God gave them up to their vile passions. For even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of, the men, of women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. It is a sin. Now, this is what I really want us to talk about. This is not a new phenomenon. In the Greek culture at that time, these things were not just open. They were fragrant, flagrant, and I would say even they were in the majority. Let me give you an example. Who was in charge of that time? Caesar Nero. This is what Caesar Nero, he was the ruler of the Roman world at that time. He castrated a boy named Sporius and married him with a full ceremony, brought him into the palace with great possession, and then made the boy his wife. That's what was happening in the White House of that time. There's nothing new under the sun. This is where Christianity expanded. This is where Christianity went and traveled to the whole world. Fourteen of the first 15 emperors were bisexual or homosexual. Fourteen of the first 15. 
Later, the emperor lived with another man, and Nero was declared to be the man's wife. So these things are nothing new. And we act like, oh, you know, like the Bible is going to be hurt now that they're making this more popular in this nation. No, no, nothing can overcome the word of God. Does that mean, though, that Nero can't be saved, that homosexuals can't be saved? Absolutely not. Accept Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and live. If you're an adulterer, if you looked at a woman even to lust at her, guilty, 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 guilty. All of us are guilty. You can't come into the church and espouse homosexuality as not a sin and stay in the fellowship of God. Any more than you can live in an adulterous relationship and have outside girlfriends or boyfriends and be like, no, that's fine, God told me I can. No, you will be kicked out. See the previous chapter. We want to act like one thing is an abomination and then other things can be swept under the rug. No, the Bible says clearly in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Emphasis now on why I never want to hear verses 9 and 10 without verse 11. Because what does verse 11 say? And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. We're never to talk about those people like that ever again. They're washed. You were sanctified. God said, don't call unclean what I have called clean to Peter, speaking about the unclean food, because he made it clean. He cleansed it. He he glorified. But you were justified. Homosexual, transgender, bisexual, drug addiction, broken homes, abuse. Bring them, bring them, bring them in. Put them in the medical beds. Feed them the word of God. Water them with the Holy Spirit. Give them fresh interactions with Jesus Christ, and such were some of you. And Christ will justify, sanctify, grant mercy, wash them, change them, mold them, create them into whole new different people. And there's nothing we can say about it, nothing we can do about it. There's no cardboard billboard that I can have to go stand in front of somebody's house and make them do any of those things. It's a waste of time. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can radically transform the human life and the human soul. You can't legislate it. You can't yell about it. You can't protest it. You can't boycott it into existence. All that stuff is a bunch of wasted energy. Growing in Christ, being a light to the world, and sharing the gospel of grace and his salvation is the only way that we can claim, and such were some of you. And it's not even from us. What does it say here? Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Not the spirit of the church, not the spirit of the people, not the name of a denomination. Jesus himself can only do this. So no, the church should not be in any way being declaring hate speech or whatever they want to title it as. But if somebody comes to the hospital and they're missing a limb, we don't just say, oh, that's normal, it's okay. No, they're bleeding to death. How would you do that? Any more than somebody who's addicted to something, having their life enslaved by Satan in the world, and be like, oh, it's okay, just stay the way you are. Who can do that? Well, how can you do that? Stop it. We're going to use the Word of God as our ultimate test, and we're going to say the Word of God says this. Nothing I can do about it, But let me bring you to the healer. Let me bring you to the Lord. Let me bring you to the one that can do all things above what we ask or think. 
He, in him is the power. In him is the glory. In him, in me, I'm probably going to say something wrong. You're going to leave the church. <laughs> but if you're seeking after him, that's what Titus said in chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. No, we should not compromise on what is right and what is wrong. We use a biblical standard. But we shouldn't come from a position of anger or frustration or anxiety, but of peace, the power of love, justice, righteousness. We really want what is best for all people, our enemies and our friends alike. We all want people to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We want the standard of the Bible. We want all of Christ for all of life. We don't segregate. It's righteous in the church. It's righteous in the world. No, the Bible is for all, all human beings, all over the world at all times. I don't come in my own authority. But when I do come into conflict, I'm not going to sue. I'm not going to go to the outside world. I'm not going to destroy my own brothers debating this. I'm going to try and win the lost for Christ. And only the full gospel can save, not the partial gospel. So let's go into all the world. Let's remember to be hospitals, not boxing matches. And let's remember, no matter what happens in the world, no matter who's in the White House, no matter who's in government, I already shared from historical examples, the most vile things that you could possibly imagine have already happened. And Christ wins. The gospel wins. People continue to be saved. Eventually, an emperor by the name of Constantine will repent and be saved. Eventually, Christianity becomes the state religion, the state faith. That didn't happen because they usurped power. That happened because of the blood of martyrs and saints being filled by the Holy Spirit simply would not yield to the world. They just kept living the gospel. And I pray for one more glorious revival before the Lord's return. That's my goal. And so occupy until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We don't have enough things. Sometimes we feel weak. We feel like we're losing. We feel like we're under attack. And yet your word shows us, Lord, you are on the throne. You are in control. You know all things. You've seen this before. And you know the time when you'll call us home and continue the work. Help us to engage with love, with respect, and with biblical standards, Lord. Help us to keep your standard with ourselves. You know that we're hypocrites. You know that we're broken and fallen. And yet you've washed us, justified us, and you're sanctifying us. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. I know there's some uh, controversial areas. Maybe you need a little clarification. I'd love to share a little bit, maybe clarify.